Welcome back to Us Without Them in this episode about the song Silencer. Just to give a quick content warning, this conversation goes into some difficult subjects, including depression and even suicide. If you would like to skip the heaviest part of this conversation, just pause this episode at an hour and four minutes. Start it up again in an hour and nine minutes. Thank you. So here we are exiting the void <laughs> of B. So we we get to Silencer, and there's kind of a a bit of a defeated sort of feeling to the beginning of this track. Like just the way that Aaron is delivering the lines. There's a sense of like defeat. I also think that the opening guitar line, you have this kind of like uh, droning, uh, melancholy sounding guitar, and then into the, the lyrics. So Stephen, uh, I don't know if there was anything else you wanted to add or say about the um, opening of the track. I, I do. So this little melodic motive that shows up partway through B, and carries on directly without pause into the beginning of Silencer. Has that four note tune, but it repeats. And the second time it just hangs out on that third Mm -hmm. note. What pitches these are, I think are, are, pretty significant for the whole musical drama that I feel like has been unfolding through the album. Sure. Um, if, if the whole album has been a musical question between A and B, and, you know, if you looked at the cover, no, you, if you looked at the cover, you wouldn't know because A to B Life isn't actually printed on the cover. But if you, <laughs> if you knew the title of the album before you, you started, there's already an indication that this is going to move from A to B. But the drama unfolds without that being a foregone conclusion. And so what we get in these four pitches is a B natural, a D natural, which implies a B minor chord. That's where we start. Mm. And then C sharp E, which implies an A major chord. So we get this this movement. Mm. Basically, if you just block it, B... So that's the sort of like sad, weepy sounding thing that's happening. And if you think of it like a like a vocal gesture, the way somebody would intone something, this first half. Sounds like a question. It sort of opens up, but doesn't feel like it's resolved. Mm -hmm. And then it's sort of like they continue their thought. And you sort of pause to think about what you're saying for a minute. Right. And the only place it can land is is on this B. So mm. even though it's sort of a question, it's like the last time that this question is asked, whether this sad, ethical life is what is in store, or the possibility of a happy aesthetic life is in store. And this pause right there has nowhere else to go but down into the 
confirmation of the sad ethical life being the only way forward. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, this track, Silencer, is the only track on the entire album that is unambiguously in the key of B minor, start to finish, all the way through. Wow, okay. <laughs> the only other time that we had this key really, really strongly confirmed is at the end of Everything Was Beautiful and Nothing Hurt, which, as we've been arguing, mm. is the narrative conclusion of the album. And so if we're talking about B beginning, like the track called B, beginning this act, which consists of just that instrumental and then silencer and then the cure for pain, then the sort of ambiguous nature of the instrumental track B, which implies B minor, but doesn't totally confirm it, it is confirmed by the time we get to this opening here. (laughs) And that's where we're going to land. So... Other than the obvious, major typically being a happier sound and minor typically being a sadder or more melancholy sound, is there any significance to either of you with it being A major implied slash confirmed and B minor hard confirmed? I think from the perspective of A, I mean, and I I, I should have looked at Kierkegaard again before we... <laughs> Before we started this, but I I feel like from the perspective of A, A thinks like when you're in the middle of the aesthetic life, right? You think that that is the happy life, right? And you look at the ethical life, um, and that's you know I, I no I feel like I I don't want to attribute this view to Kierkegaard because I I need to I can't remember if this is exactly how he. Compares sure. the two. This is your interpretation but, and well, memory. Well, I mean, I just, I just would think that, like, I mean, I'm just thinking about like my own youth, like, yeah, right. When you're living the aesthetic life, like you, you think that this is as good as it's going to get, right? And you think about being an adult and being married, right, committed, right, which is the ethical life, and you know, when you're younger, I mean, maybe for for some people, some old souls out there, right. <laughs> getting married and settling down is like what you want since you're like 16 or <laughs> but but you know for the kind of person that Kierkegaard is describing I think there's a happiness associated with that time of your life yeah and something that is more melancholy like not sad necessarily but just melancholy like you don't yeah. you're not going to have the same freedom you're and so on so that that's that would be my interpretation of that i guess sure yeah that makes sense i i just want to take just because it comes to mind here and i won't think of it later there there's this line she put on happiness like a loose dress over pain i'll never know yeah yeah and just thinking about happiness and and pain and this the sort of musical language that that has been built up here the keys of a major and 
B major never actually appear. We get a lot of really solid A minor stuff, and, and then we move in eventually into some B minor stuff. But there's a lot of implications of A major throughout the whole album. There's all these little tiny musical gestures and riffs that keep trying to suggest mm -hmm. its way into A major, but the band never actually just locks in and lands mm -hmm. in that key. Right. And so just thinking about that, like putting on happiness like a loose dress over pain I'll never know. There's something about this like sort of slippery nature of like trying to put on A into this musical texture that keeps drawing itself down either into A minor or B minor, either one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like your, your kind of insertion of that too, because even in the aesthetic moments of this album, we're seeing the flip side of that, which is... Joel, to your point about like thinking of your youth, my youth was also a time full of like not knowing how to handle my emotions. Yeah. And so when something really horrible happened, it felt like the absolute worst thing, even yeah. if it wasn't really, yeah. including some of the stuff that we're talking about in this. I mean, this is a breakup album, as we've been yeah. mm -hmm. asserting from the start. Breakups are terrible, yeah. absolutely, but they aren't typically killing you. They aren't typically, you know, it is you're not in war torn this isn't Fallujah yeah. or something. So mm -hmm. yeah, I, I think that's uh that's super, super interesting that even the aesthetic side of things is often leaning into the sadder, more melancholy minor, mm -hmm. the A minor. Yeah. So wow, this is that's that's a super fascinating musical gesture to open this track. Don't waste your lips on words I've heard before. Kiss my tired head, and each letter written wastes your hand, young man, come and lead me to your bed. You gave me hope that I'd not lost her, and then thought it rather strange to see me smile, as I don't, I don't do too much smiling these days. So a lot of, a lot of characters here that are somewhat ambiguous, right? And and there's, oh, <laughs> yeah. So I think that the line that I think really complicates kind of trying to suss this out is, you gave me hope that I'd not lost her. There's three people there. Yeah, yeah, definitely is three people there. Yeah, so, <laughs> I mean, we need to figure out who that you is. Can I be the youth group kid in the room? Yeah, please, go ahead. The you is God. Can we move on to the next part? <laughs> okay, fair, okay, fair, fair, fair. Yeah. So let's uh, let's deconstruct this, right, Joel? Um, <laughs> so as it's notated in the liner notes of the, the record, you is capital, but it's after a period, so it should be capital. It's the beginning of a sentence. Yeah. 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 It's right. true. It's just the beginning of a sentence. So, like, that isn't really a clue for us at yeah. all. Yeah. I mean, God definitely has been a third character. Absolutely. You know, throughout the record. So I think that that's probably fair. Yeah. I just wanted to see if anybody thought that there's a suggestion here somewhere that he's talking oh. to like a friend or some, like <laughs> some so, friend encouraged him that that he you know gave him hope. But um, right, I mean, we have talked about the father figure mm -hmm. being an ambiguous father figure, yeah, that's whether true. that's Father God or Christ or Father the 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 paterfamilias. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm glad I got to fit that word into the podcast so early. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, 
I read a couple lines later on, uh, and we'll talk about those as we get to them, as potentially being that father figure coming back in. But then we also get the direct reference to My Lord, How Long to Sing This Song. So it's hard. But then we also see his hands. So you and his. Sometimes he's referring to the you, and sometimes he's referring to he, the narrator, is referring to God in the third person. So... It's tricky. Yeah, I think for me, in this track and, and in The Cure for Pain, at this in this movement, in this act, whatever you want to call it, the presence of God as a as a personal part of this conversation seems the most palpable than in any other place on the record. Yeah. And so it makes sense yeah. to me that, you, that God would be the matter of second person address or a matter of third person reference when he's speaking mm-hmm. to yep. her there later on in the song. Right. He's just in the room with them. Right. Somehow. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So let's go, let's go back and let's, let's talk about what writing is doing here. Writing and speaking. There's a lot of sort of the first... Half of this verse is dealing with speech and writing, language. Yeah. Right. right. Well, and and this is not a, a formulation we've seen much of because there's been a lot of these these uh, binary right. kind of a, a and B opposite things. Mm-hmm. In this case, I mean, you could call it kind of a binary of, of speaking and writing, but this is the the moment to me that strikes me as the most psalm-like of any of the lines. Mm. On this album, yeah. don't waste mm. your lips on words I've heard before. Kiss my tired head. And each letter written wastes your hand. There's all sorts of this stuff all across the Psalms where you have two similar things stated in parallel back and forth. So don't waste your lips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Each letter written wastes your hand. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, they're tied together. Which also feels significant somehow just in in terms of like a, it's it it's subtle because it's not sung. There's no hymn tunes here but it sort of puts us in this slightly more reverent space somehow. Yeah. 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 And, and I think that that is, you, you get that again in the third. Well, I don't know if we're, we call this the third verse, but the third stanza of the, of the track where he references Bonnie Prince, Billy and Bob Dylan. I, I see Mm. a darkness. I shall be released. There's, Something that's very um, him him like about yeah. those lines, and the the Bonnie Prince Billy song is itself is very him like. We'll talk about yeah. that um, so, when we get down well, there. As but, we get there, but yeah. something else about those opening lines, even even if the the sort of sentence construction of it is is reminiscent of the Psalms, actually it doesn't seem like it's the the main narrator speaking here. Right. Well, that's that's the th- other thing that makes this so complicated yep. because yep. you have I mean, I jumped down to you gave me hope that I'd not lost her. Right. Which I think gives us the clearest indication of who is speaking and and who each of the those persons are in that sentence. But prior to that. Yeah. It's completely ambiguous. It's really hard to make it out. Right. Because who is the young man? Who is speaking who is writing right yeah it's 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 hard to, well, to figure that out so so the the young man line is one of the strongest to me tiebacks to the uh 
Right, the reference to the where we that feels much more like a father figure, mm-hmm. a true father figure talking about um, you're not strong enough to fight. I I, I t- I'm totally with you that the young man reference yep. calls that to mind, but the whole line is young man come and leave me to your bed, which I I don't think we want to imagine his, his dad talking to him that. Uh, no, no, no. Right, exactly. Although there is a period breaking those two up, which makes it strange. Um, in the, uh, I knew this one would get weird because of the sentence <laughs> yeah. structure, so I pulled out the, the actual liner notes from the the album because this is such a weird song. Wait, wait, wait. Hold, hold on. Back up real quick. So you're there's a yeah, period yeah. between man and come. In yep okay and that is not how he enunciates it well and, at all. and also because in <laughs> in the lyrics that I copied from the internet it's a comma so mm. each letter waste your hand young man come and lead me to your bed um, is is one it's written like a singular thought uh, but if but in the liner notes if there's a period there that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so let me, okay, let's talk about the notation. This makes this super interesting. So, don't waste your lips on words I've heard before, period. Kiss my tired head, period. And each letter written, waste your hand, comma, young man, period. Come and lead me to your bed, period. You gave me hope that I'd not lost her, and then thought it rather strange to see me smile, dash, as I don't do too much smiling these days, period. Wow. That's the kind of summation yeah that doesn't that throw a weird little monkey wrench in our uh, it kind of does yeah yeah so to to close my thought though on the young man piece and why i think joel as you said you gave me hope that i'd not lost her tells us okay this is the typical narrator of the rest of the album speaking these first few lines Mm -hmm. um that's him talking to himself Mm. as he has learned to talk to himself from people like his father so he's calling himself young man. Yes. Okay. And yeah, you you follow me? Yeah. That he's seeing himself in that like come on, come mm. on kid, like let's let's figure this out or whatever. I yeah. like that. I like that reading a lot. I do think that you can hear this, especially in Aaron's delivery. I think you can hear it plausibly as the narrator mm-hmm. speaking to himself. Like there's Because if you think about where this is in the story, right, he has spent a lot of energy in that middle act of the record trying to make sense of what has happened and, and, you know, kind of going back and forth, like being okay with it, but not okay with it and thinking about her and, and all this stuff. And so now that he's on the other side of the void... Right. And we, oh man, this is getting really crazy. We also talked about <laughs> that the end of Breakfast of Champions, right? And the idea of floating through the void mm-hmm. and hearing someone shout to the narrator in his father's voice, make me young, make me young, make me young. Yep. Right. Yep. And now he's Oof. telling himself, right? Stop with this. Like, stop wasting your breath. Stop wasting your words, your writing. It's a waste. There's no figuring this out or there's no justifying it. There's no explaining it. Yeah. Right. And I'm tired. And just to further affirm who's speaking and who they're speaking to, the last line of the A section, 
the, the last line of I never said that I was brave is I'll believe it's lies again, referring to your stomach being his stomach being a liar. Right. So he was already thinking in that self-referential reflecting upon himself way. So this is just the the obvious continuation of that after coming up from the void, from from the depths of wherever he went yeah. in the bee. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Stephen, I saw you uh, pull your your liner notes out too. I, I thought, did you? Yeah, I'm just I'm just looking looking at it because I heard you say it, and now I'm just <laughs> you know, it's just interesting. Each letter written wastes your hand, young man. Full stop. That's that's a thought. Full stop. Yeah, but he does not deliver it that way at all. If you had never no, like it makes total sense that the internet, the person who is transcribing it for the yep. internet, wrote it the way they did. Because that's how he delivers it. I mean, maybe maybe come and lead me to your bed, though, is not sexual in any way. Right. Maybe he's just saying he's he's speaking to himself as this kind of dualistic personality. Right. Maybe he because he's torn between A and B. Yeah. Right. Mm. Come and lead me to your bed. Like, I just I'm tired. I mean, you know, just two lines before he said, kiss my tired head. Yeah. So I I actually do get that feel. It's like there's almost an illness to it. Kiss my tired head. Yeah. Lead me to your bed. And they rhyme. Sure. Yeah, I mean, yes, there's yes, there's yes, that yes. too. Yeah. Just to to throw all the angles at this at once and sort of lay these things side by side. Yeah. <laughs> Up until that line that begins with "You gave me hope." Yep. You could read the entire opening as being from the the female other's perspective. Right. Mm-hmm. So just think about it for a moment. If she's the one saying this, don't. Waste your lips on words I've heard before, which seems a reasonable thing to say after all the other kind of stuff he's been saying this whole time. All of this. Yes, yes. Kiss my tired head. Like, she's tired of all this. Mm-hmm. You know, and he, and that's, again, it's like, then that's like a fairly non-sexual gesture, right? Kiss my tired head. I don't want to listen to this anymore. Right. And And then for her to say to him, each letter written wastes your hand, young man. Now she's infantilizing him in the way his dad did, but also the way that he did to her and yeah. be still child. Oh, true. Yeah. Little girl, all that. Business. Exactly. Little girl. So yeah. she's getting back at him yeah. and telling him that writing all these words is a, <laughs> is a waste of time, which obviously he's yeah. been busy doing writing the record. <laughs> yes. He's written, he's written a few songs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then all that concludes then with come and lead me to your bed. Like she's like, get like, forget all of this other stuff that you're doing. Like all this talking you're doing is a waste of time, right? Mm. So that's that's one another reading. It's worth sitting with for a minute. That's I think equally as compelling. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I think we'll get we'll never get complete clarity, but as we move through the rest of this song in particular, we'll we'll find you know some evidence potentially of both. Yeah. I think so. The only other thing I'd want to point out, and this gets way stronger as we go through this song, is the immense intimacy, and not sexual, but just there's a closeness here. Kiss my tired head. Mm-hmm. Lips. You know, we've talked a lot about, like, body imagery. There's a lot of face. There's tons of face, facial imagery tons in this song. Tons of yeah. face and head yeah. stuff. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. The smile... The, the repeated use of the word smile, smiling, like all yep. of that is just drawing you to think of people's eyes, face, head. Yeah, it's it's so interesting. So regardless of who the speaker is, this is a fascinating 
look into the intimate moments of a person or persons who are yeah i don't know are they not together anymore at this point i yes no i don't know yeah it's that's that's confusing yeah well and like we talked about the first act which is narratively the third act is where that's kind of present day and then all of this is in retrospect potentially Mm -hmm. so that's yeah anyway yeah. I mean, I, I think, again, to just to revisit the whole big structure, the the way that it struck me initially when I started to, to see that there may be something to the setup of instrumental A, some songs, instrumental B, some songs, and this other thing may actually be at the end. The A section, so to speak, mm-hmm. seems like they're in the relationship, even though it's strained. It's, there's, mm-hmm. it's, not, it's never quite totally comfortable, even in that. But in this B section that this song sits in, it's like he realizes that it's definitely going to end, that he's going to have to end it. Yeah. Right. And then once you get to bullet to binary and on towards everything is beautiful and nothing hurt, that's the actual breakup process. That's the process of him putting it right. to an end. So right now they're in it, but I think he's realizing line by line that this is this is going to unravel. Right. And there's right. this and there's the I think a very significant sort of air of of depression yeah right that he's experiencing um and that's the other potential way to to read the tiredness and wanting to go to bed is that you know i mean i experience depression i take medication for it Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. you know and when you're depressed you for some people many people you just want to be in bed you don't Yeah. You know, and so I think that there's there's a sense of that as well. And, you know, the verse closing with the I don't do too much smiling these days. Mm-hmm. And then there's other references that we'll sure. get to uh, later on. Yeah. Without without going into to a painful amount of detail so we eventually can get to the second stanza of this song. <laughs> I just want to throw out you, dear listener, for consideration that if you want to try to parse these lyrics in other ways, I think there's other possibilities, especially if you think of it as a dialogue and not as a monologue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Every other line could be a different personality. And that could be right. the, the male narrator, the female other or God uh, in any of these lines. And it, and it creates a very different dynamic spin. Say for example, like, and I don't have exactly how I'd work all this out, but if the line yeah. come and lead me to your bed is between the male narrator and God or vice versa, that's a very interesting kind of a dynamic that immediately proceeds. You gave me hope that I had not lost her. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's, that's super interesting. And now we're all of a sudden in the territory of the end of Sufjan's Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, in the wrap-up episode, we'll go there. Um, <laughs> that's oh boy, yeah. So I, I'm a fan, really, of all monologue, dialogue, more complex yeah. dialogue. All three of those are really compelling to me. And um, the, the other thing, so seeing where it's going, so it, I'm pointing out some flaws in my logic of thinking of these things being fatherly or him talking to himself because. I'm using logic based on the third act, which happens to be the beginning of the album, but narratively is the end. So 
it doesn't really work in reverse. Well, but that I think that's okay. I and mean, from an audience's standpoint, you've heard the line already, and that that matters more. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And we presume that whatever relationship this figure has with his father, it extends beyond the lyrics on the album. So I think you can kind of allow that dynamic to for sure overshadow yeah. the whole thing. Absolutely. She put on happiness like a loose dress over pain I'll never know. So the peace you had, she said, I must confess, I'm glad to see it go. Were two white roses lying frozen just outside his door. I've made you so happy and so sad. What should I be more sorry for? Man, what a great line that is. And the delivery of it is so amazing. It's Mm -hmm. just, wow. It it took me, like, I almost wanted to yell, we're too white. I I know, I could tell. I can hear that, too. (laughs) uh, It's like, oh, it's because it's so well delivered on the album. Oh, it is. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, something, I, I feel like I do appreciate the intensity of Aaron's screaming on this record that you don't quite get i don't think i mean it 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 changes right the yeah. way that he delivers these yeah. intense lines shifts and not in a bad way i think it matures yeah. right i mean what he's doing here is pretty standard traditional kind of post hardcore screaming but it's so good he's yeah. so good mm-hmm. at it he is really incredible yeah. at it Uh, My friends who are more true, like hardcore and hardcore punk fans, this is the album I show them first, typically, just because it's like, you're going to love it because they deliver all of the stuff you like about that type of music perfectly and do so much more. You don't start with Um, the fox and the cookie, the... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I might know a couple oh, people. Oh, yeah, no, start of course. One, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. So this is where we get a, a firm confirmation of who is speaking. Well, he is at least remembering something she has said. Yes. And is directly yeah. quoting her. And what a cold-hearted thing to say. Mm. <laughs> oh, man. So the piece you had, she said, I must confess, I'm glad to see it go. What a. <laughs> yeah. <whew. laughs> but there's, I feel like at this by this point, I mean, the uh, the way that we've sort of dissected every song, I kind of feel now, mm-hmm. he, maybe he deserves a little bit of that in a way, oh, right? he deserves to get smacked in the face. Yeah. Poetically, yeah. yes. <laughs> Absolutely. And especially because, I mean, what she's saying here... I, I mean, yes, I think you could read it as being cold-hearted, right? He's, he, I yeah. mean, we talked about the fact that there's this kind of air of depression over the lyrics here. In another way, this could almost be understood as instructive. Like, there's something didactic here, right? That she's saying, the mm. piece you had, I'm glad to see it go, because it was that piece. You gotta yes, move on. It was that piece that was actually perhaps a problem, right? His confidence, perhaps, in missionizing this <laughs> relationship, right? Maybe yeah. that's the piece that she's talking about. And yeah, he should be glad that that's gone if that's what it is. Right. 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 Because that is the other side to that in doing the evangelizing missionary relationship 
type of mm-hmm. thing, like, oh my gosh, that's that's not ethical at all it, it, by anyone's right, right. you know stretch yeah, of ethics no. of true yeah. ethics so yeah i told i love that reading like it sounds harsh but it's a harsh truth not meant to be vindictive i also would just want to pull this back to i think a, a, a direct reference that this line is is getting us into which is in the ghost yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i and I'm, I'm gonna read it in the middle of a flow of of lines but uh in between the sky and doubt we talked about forever and all our other useless words, until I say, in his silent sound was the peace I found, but she hides behind her eyelids. Yes, yes, Mm. yes. Yeah. Great callback. Yeah. So apparently forever and all our other useless words, like all this is like a waste of time, whatever they're talking about, until, and then in quotes, in his silent sound was the peace I found. So this is a direct quote of something he says to her, and then her response is to close her eyes. Like, I just, I don't want to listen to this right now. Yeah. And so now she's telling, giving it back to him. Like, and, right. And then that, that verse ends with, right. He says a tree once cut down, came up new from the ground. Yeah. And she said, that's where she says that may very well be. And so it goes, it's the devil, I suppose. Right. Yeah. So there's a rejection of, I think all of that, right. Yeah. Not just the tree reference, but yeah. the, in him, in God, was the peace that I found. And that that actually, I think, solidifies something in my mind that you can read peace here as something like confidence, right? I mean, because that's mm-hmm. what he's saying, in a sense, in The Ghost, right? Is that, you know, I'm confident in who I am. Like, I have peace. And this is why you should, <laughs> too. Yes. Right. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. I feel assured in my faith, in my worldview, and right. and you should also. Yeah, yeah I'm at wow. Pe- okay. Because I'm digging. Because yeah, that. I think that that's what people tend to mean when they say like, "I have peace. I found peace in the Lord." Part of that is saying I'm confident in this worldview. Right. I'm at peace now because I'm confident that this is right. Right. You're you've yeah. you've gone through the internal turmoil, so now you can go forth with righteous confidence. Right. And so that that, that convinces me even more that of the the female other's maturity, right, in saying, This peace you had, I'm glad to see you. Like you needed to be shaken up. Yeah. You needed to again to quote the or to use the 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 term of the age right now. You yeah. needed to deconstruct, right? <laughs> you needed to deconstruct <laughs> exactly. your faith. <laughs> no, it, it it it's true. This entire album is really about that struggle with faith. Yeah, totally. Underlying totally. everything. Yeah. And and that what an incredible and you're totally right, Joel. It does show her utter maturity, even if she doesn't agree with any of his theological or faith-based ways of being. It's like she gets it better than he does, yeah. even if she doesn't agree with the belief, which is incredible. Yeah. What an incredible yeah. thing. So we already talked a little bit about the happiness like a loose dress. Anything else y'all wanted to add on that? Because it's just such a lovely... I mean, we get another dress image. We get another kind of body intimacy image there. Right. I mean, I think that in a way to say that she puts happiness on like a loose dress means it's very easy for her to slip on this happiness over pain, which, again, is further sign of maturity. Or is it he has damaged her in some 
significant way. Well, yeah, we, we definitely know he's damaged her by the last two lines of this stanza. Yes. But on top of that, it's also just, it's an oddly uh, poignant like truth that most women in Western, specifically American culture, have to do that, like, grit your teeth, and mm-hmm. it, like, it doesn't matter that the thing like, you're upset, like, your bear it. Yeah. Sw- swallow swallow the thing that's paining you because typically you know in a in a heterosexual relationship the man's feelings matter more because they haven't learned how to handle it yeah and so it's kind it's kind of that too a little bit like she's able to just put on a happy face put on happiness and and just move on and not wallow in right the depression that he is feeling that she could equally be feeling this was clearly a impactful relationship for both of them but she's able to just kind of pick yeah. herself up. I um, I want to throw a sort of a different spin on these two lines. Love it. Please. As a pair. Yes. Because if you read in the first verse, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the thing about wasting words and, and wasting your hand as a sort of a psalmic pair. Is the word psalmic a word? Yeah. It is now. Yeah, sure. It is now. If you want to keep with that kind of parallelism in the second one here the first line is she put on happiness like a loose dress over pain i'll never know and then set side by side with that as it's sort of repeat and proof is so the piece you had she said i must confess i'm glad to see it go mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's a it, it puts a different spin i mean y'all were talking about her being very mature in this moment mm-hmm. but we also have to remember that it's always Aaron's voice or Aaron's character's voice who's reporting True. all this. And if you just think, yep. imagine any woman you've ever met and imagine these words coming out of her mouth. So the piece you had, I must confess, I'm glad to see it go. <laughs> I've never met anyone that talks that way. It it flows beautifully as a, as a poetic line in this song. But something yeah. about that puts it this layer of like, it's in his voice repeating her voice. Mm, mm-hmm. And so if you imagine that for a moment, yeah. Then if his perspective, if, if the sort of barely, well, it's still poetic, but the sort of more bluntly stated fact is she put on happiness like a loose dress over pain I'll never know. Then you get to see that in action in her words, which are, so the piece you had, she said, I must confess, I'm glad to see it go. I'm glad. So here's the happiness word in that line. I'm glad to see it go. Yeah. So she's yep. acting happy on the surface. But of course, it's the pain I'll never know that's making her say these sorts of things. Like, you can read it in a way that he's, he still feels like she's has something that needs to be healed internally and that her being glad about the peace being yeah. gone is this loose dress of happiness on the surface. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think that I think that just affirms and, like, strengthens the, the argument Joel and I were, were kind of constructing. That's, yeah. that's fantastic. Really well done. Also, I, I Googled it. Psalmic is 100% Good. a word <laughs> in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. <laughs> You Good. used it properly. Well done. Um, <laughs> as of or like okay. a psalm. <laughs> um, okay, so, so the next okay. line. Okay, so two white roses. We've talked about roses. White roses. White is typically innocence mm-hmm. in poetry. That's interesting. Lying frozen just outside his door. His, in every version I'm seeing in front of me, is lowercase. Sure is. Strongly implying <laughs> it is not his, the Lord. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so, whose door is this, y'all? <laughs> I mean, uh. there's another his. There is There is like a sort of 
boyfriend after him figure that sort of yep. implied like in in bull to binary right there's he mm-hmm. sort of shows up like in the future yeah but that's also but we also had a, a secondary reading that that might have been if she comes to god later i hope that she doesn't find the sure absolution within him you know so like that uh but i i like that like it is but it's weird either way like to me your boyfriend like it is. If, you, if you're thinking this like somehow i don't know like just outside the gates of heaven or something i can i can i can actually picture that easier than i can what does it mean whatever you want to make of two white roses being frozen that the two of them are, are laying on the ground outside the door of some other guy like that's that's really bizarre <laughs> Yeah, it really is. So I'm wondering if we can apply Stephen's hermeneutic from the previous half of the verse yeah. to this half and read read the pair together. Right. Oh, interesting. We're two yeah. white roses lying frozen just outside his door. I've made you so happy and so sad. What should I be more sorry for? So I'm wondering, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Is there something mm. like the, the white roses? I mean, Nick, you're, I think, hundred percent right there's there's not really any other way to read that other than like innocent and beautiful right some you know it's it's innocent love right um i think is what a white rose is right but frozen right Uh, yeah i think as a standalone image it is but with, with it being frozen right that brings a whole other layer i mean one yes it could frozen can mean like a suspended state Right. For sure. You could think of it that way, right. that somehow this sort of innocence is, is in a suspended state. But as a physical poetic image, when I think of roses being frozen, other than that sounding like some sort of theater warm up, it also is <laughs> like a very physical, tangible... Red leather. Yeah. Red leather, yellow leather. <laughs> um, the frozen roses I've chosen for... I no, I can't think of it. <laughs> there you go. The frozen you roses go. I've chosen in Bozeman. No, I'm I'm just I'm not good. I'm gonna stop. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's you're you're just you're just practicing practicing yeah. your siblings. Anyway, oh, there um, you go. <laughs> I imagine like actually pulling a rose out of the freezer again, remembering that Aaron worked at a florist shop at this time. Like, yeah. no, right? It, it, that's exactly what I was thinking about. Is during Valentine's Day. Bouquets are often kept in freezers or very mm-hmm. cold refrigerators. So, I mean, that's just where he probably got the image well, from. So, okay, um, so so then if you think of it like a like a gift you would buy from a florist shop, you would you would actually conceivably you could leave those by somebody's door. If you take it out mm-hmm. of like th- it's being two people for a second, rather than starting yeah. with two people, then having to like sort of transmogrify that in your mind into okay, those two people are flowers. Oh, those two people flowers are frozen. Reverse the, the situation and just start with the image of roses lying outside an actual physical door someplace. Yep. That's an, it's an interesting kind of a gift. Like, typically, if you give roses, you, like, hand them to somebody. You don't leave mm-hmm. them. Right. But if they're mm-hmm. left there, either they're left there because of some sort of, like, you need to, like, just give the gift and run, like you're too embarrassed or shy. I don't see that being implied too much here. But it could be that they were also sure. left behind. Like, they were handed over but it's in the winter and so instead of them being accepted and taken in they're just left to freeze on the porch like there's a lot of ways you can read it if you start with and then and then you get to ask the question okay if that's the image of these abandoned roses here or these sort of shyly given roses then to say that we are those two white roses means something different i don't know if that's begging the question too much 
No, I mean, I that's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I have always thought of this as like abandoned. Um, I, I mean, yeah, I, hmm. <laughs> makes me think of you know when I was in college, I spent one semester abroad in Italy in Florence, and everywhere, like all over the city, there are just roses because. You know, you have these street vendors, right, walking around trying to give you, sell you roses. And like, you know, during the height of tourist season, I mean, I, I when we got there, it was like the end of tourist season. But I remember being struck by that, like, as you walked kind of around the city center, there's just like roses on the ground, you know, because, <laughs> you know, tourists like buy a rose or whatever. And then they're like, what am I going to do with this? I'm just going to throw it on the ground. And I remember one of my, right. one of the friends, my friends that I made on, on this trip became really obsessed with this idea of these roses and he would when he came across them if they were still intact he would pick them up and like take them home and i remember him getting really really mad one night at one of our other friends who like purposefully trampled like some roses and he like was beside himself he was so mad and it's wow. really yeah i mean this idea of there being some kind of story i mean his his obsession was that like sure. each of these flowers has some story it's a memento because somebody yeah right someone bought this for somebody and for some reason they dropped it on the ground like a rose is not something that you at least in his mind was not something that you buy in order to or pick in order to drop on the ground Right. You you a rose is something you want to try to keep. Right. You put it in water. You want to keep it alive as long as you can. And so it was like, yeah, strangely troubling to him that there were all these abandoned roses all over the city. What a sweet little story. Honestly, <laughs> that's great. Um, Sorry, a little tangent. No, but it, it helps. It No, it helps color the because uh, I have that feeling, too, of just outside his door implies whatever period of time it is they will be trampled they they are an afterthought or they were a thought and that that has passed since yeah what if the gesture is in fact directed towards god if if the lowercase h is either just an oversight in the printing of the liner notes or if it's (laughs) or if it's just sort of assumed because there's the other language about God in this that it's not necessary, however you account for the capitalization mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. non-capitalization. If, but if you think about it as a, as a rejected gift, that whatever has transpired before this, it's like we tried to offer ourselves to God as this sort of like pure couple. I mean, this is a very yeah. bridal wedding kind of an image here. Mm, mm-hmm. We're two white roses. Like, here we are side by side. Like, here we are this couple. Yeah. But the fact that they're frozen just outside his door is like we offered ourselves to God in this way. He he rejected that proposal that here we were as this pure, innocent couple being put before him. And they were just left outside of heaven to freeze yeah. or whatever. Does that make yeah. sense? Like, Yes, I think I think that that sounds yeah. right to me. I, th- I think that that's in some ways the most straightforward way to read it. And and then and that yeah. it does kind of flow into the next half of the couplet. Right. Because. Mm-hmm. This is like the reason why they are breaking up, right? Because yeah. they he could not convince her. They didn't make it into the door. And so now he's getting to, in a way, sort of like the heart of it. I've made you so happy, so sad, 
what should I be more sorry for? Like I, I led you, yeah. you know, I led you to this place where you thought too, that this was a really good thing, but then I caused you pain that I'll never know. Right. As he says yeah. earlier. I'm only going back to the flowers for a moment just to insert uh, a little pop culture reference, which is in Harold and Maude, you, uh, you probably know the line I'm talking about, dear dear listener, where they're watching a funeral procession go by and Maude is very upset about a funeral, which is a celebration of the life of someone who has passed and you send dead flowers to celebrate <laughs> the funeral. And she says, who sends dead flowers to a funeral? It's absurd talking about how black flowers are dead flowers and and why wouldn't you send something living to kind of celebrate and continue that it'd be a symbolic continuation of the person's life through your memories um and so there's something really interestingly poignant how, whatever reading we want to take and steve and i agree with you the straightforward dead flowers left outside the marital kind of imagery there is totally i like that reading a lot but it's just interesting because it's it's this thing, this this uh, this love locked in this moment of time, mm-hmm. but they're dead. A dead frozen flower is yeah. is dead, mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, it will decompose and go away in a way that something living and thriving yeah. won't. Well, and then and then once once you get forward, assuming that that bullet to binary and onward actually happens sequentially mm-hmm. later than this. Yep. It adds another layer of meaning to let us die, let us die. Instead of being in this frozen mm-hmm. image of life that is bound to decompose, just let it let it get on with. That's great. And, and yeah. as we transition maybe into the next verse, I just want to bring up the question, because we're halfway through the song. We've done two out of four stanzas. <laughs> what What is the title? Silencer. Right? Mm. Yeah. I've thought a lot about that. So the last chunk of text in I Never Said That I Was Brave talks about singing mm-hmm. silently. And we we see this like continuation of that thought. Like I, I like seeing this as a continuation of the thought between the two. And I think that helps really affirm in terms of the narrative logical structure of this album that this section obviously makes sense coming narratively after the previous section. I'll sing in silence, lay beside you with my face there on your cheek. Here we, like, this is that silence Mm. thing. Or it's a silencer of a gun, and (laughs) the other plan has something to do with death. And uh, I I don't like that reading, but that's... But I think think that's a necessary (laughs) reading. So I think the word silencer Mm -hmm. is not a normal word that we use to talk about a a person or an event like oh like yeah right. she was such a silencer yeah. like she she made me shut up like nobody yeah. says that you don't talk yeah. about it as like like that that event was a real silencer like there's just other ways to talk about things that would make you stop speaking like yes the yes. only way, way in which the word silence with an r appended to the end is in any kind of common usage <laughs> is as like a thing you stick on a gun to shoot somebody without knowing that the gun fired mm-hmm. yep but fast forward two tracks, again, imagining this other track sequence, and bullet to binary is still on the way. Yeah. And so we have, <laughs> in this transitional moment, 
if you want to imagine somehow this whole thing as like screwing the silencer onto the front of the gun, <laughs> then it's going to fire later. And, and bullet to binary is, is where the trigger gets pulled. Before we get to the third block <laughs> of the song, um, <laughs> we we haven't really talked about the music between each of these, especially between, I think it's the second and the third, right? Is that where that little lead part comes in? The so the transition from verse one to two yeah. is where the... I think it's Mike playing the lead. Yeah, well, there's, it's Mike playing there's the lead. One tra- because... the, I think the first transition, you get that um, that kind of the wah guitar. It's like that. It's kind of that, like, more melodic. And then the whoever's playing the Ebo, I think it's I think it's uh, yeah. Chris in the recording, and then Brandon live of mm-hmm. you know. Let me see. But yeah. Stephen, you were gonna try to play it. Yeah. That's yeah. the lead over verse two or yeah. stanza two or whatever you want to call it. But it gets introduced as an instrumental, I think. And I'll just tell you the, the pitches. And I thought about this this section because it's a great lick. And whether, mm-hmm. you know, does it mean something? I mean, on one level, really simply, it continually reaffirms a B minor uh, as a key. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All those notes are in B minor. It doesn't. It doesn't take us anywhere else. It is a sort of a softer B minor because this. Okay, that's an F sharp, and then that's an A natural. Hmm. So it's A B. If you want to track where those are. But that whole thing. It it's the same kind of harmonic space as the A and the B tracks are, where it's it's like mm. B minor, but it keeps having this A in it. Unlike the end of Everything Was Beautiful and Nothing Hurt, which has this very strong, this very strong A-sharp into B that, like, mm-hmm. it hammers it home. So anyway. Yeah. Wow. But but musically, in terms of just the kind of gesture that it is, to me, the place that it maps the most directly onto is back on Gentlemen. What's he say? Yeah, what we were calling the chorus of Gentlemen. It feels like a chorus, you know, but you sit there silent, folded arms, and look down as I walk by. Yeah. It feels like that kind of a gesture, except that there's not a chorus yeah. that repeats on top of it. It sort of, like, hits that that rhythm and that momentum that makes you want to feel like we've landed somewhere, except that it's just, now there's no words.
Well, and I like that gesture too because where it is at the start of mm-hmm. verse two is this very soft, sweetly played melody mm-hmm. on the guitar, and then it comes in as yeah. chords. I think both yeah. guitars are playing it, the bass is playing it. They might even have like a synth playing it too. It's yeah. just this really full, the full band is playing that. And then that, as that part fades, we get into verse three, yeah. which is one of my favorite musical gestures with the drums. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just so, so I don't want to yeah. spoil that before we read about it. But um, and, and we don't need to overplay every single time this word shows up, but I think it's interesting that the other musical moment that feels like this, he's saying that she sits there silent. Yep. So there's another instance of silence. Besides singing in silence, yep. mm-hmm. there's also now the, the callback to this earlier line about the piece that he found was in his silent sound was the piece I found. So mm-hmm. silence is a theme that I think maybe we've yep. sort of underrepresented so far in our discussion. Yeah. It doesn't show up as <laughs> much as the facial imagery but we're waiting we were just waiting for this song <laughs> to talk about it come kiss my face goodbye the space below my eye and above my cheek because i'm faint and fading fast and i see a darkness and i shall be released I'll pass like a fever from this body, softly slip into his hands. I tried to love you and I failed, but I have another plan. <laughs> so more facial imagery, right? Very specific facial imagery. Very specific, yeah. Yep. Potentially the most specific facial imagery I have ever heard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like a part of the body. Yeah. I didn't know needed to be uh, uh, differentiated, but apparently it does. <laughs> yeah. In fact, almost every time I hear that lyric sung, I like touch my cheekbone. <laughs> there, right there. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. It's just eye socket. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I yeah. Got it. a, yeah. <laughs> there's not, there's not a good word for that spot. I mean, like people talk about like bags under their eyes, which is not like a, a very nice poetic sounding phrase like kiss me on the bag beneath my eye yeah <laughs> it just has a very different <laughs> ring to it it's weird it well i was gonna say it's 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 just such a weird place to ask for mm-hmm. a kiss like normally obviously you want to kiss on the cheek yeah. right not above your cheek <laughs> yep. it, it makes it always makes me uh, think of the musical the fantastics i don't know if either of you are familiar with this musical it's relatively obscure jerry orbach who was on law and order for years and years and years who played lenny one of the detectives was in the okay, original yeah. <laughs> broadway cast of this Musical, and if you listen to the soundtrack and try to picture him in this musical as the lead character, El Gallo, it's it's weird. Anyway, it's a very strange, like, abstract <laughs> musical, but the, there's a song. One of the, the things is that, like, one of the characters dreams of being kissed upon the eyes. And at one point in the musical, this character, El Gallo, who's sort of like this godlike character orchestrating these events, it's sort of a love story there's only like seven characters in the whole thing, but he has to kiss her on the eyes. And when I was in high school, I played El Gallo in my high school's production of this. And I had to kiss this girl on the eyes many times 
in <laughs> rehearsal <laughs> and in performing it. And it is weird. It's a weird, <laughs> weird thing to do, to receive. It was weird for her to have someone kissing her eyelids. Yep. It's, it's yeah. weird. And so, yeah, that's what I think. Every time I hear this, I'm like, it's weird. It's, I, it, it is it, weird. It's a really weird place to to want someone to, to be kissed. But yeah. it's also, you know, and however we want to place this in the dynamics of this relationship as it's sort of unraveling, it's an incredibly intimate request. Like this is a place that like, it, like anything yep. around your eyes is very vulnerable. Yes, yes, and, yes. And this is like a like soft tissue like right above your cheekbones. And like, you know, yeah. you definitely don't want something to like fly and like hit you. <laughs> like in that place, like right underneath your eye, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but also I yeah. think it's worth just thinking about all the proliferation of tears that show up in various places True. on the album. Yeah. That this is a spot where yeah. a, a tear has formed. I mean, that's like specifically sort of what would happen there is if, if a tear has formed in your eye, but it hasn't yeah. fallen down your cheek, which it does in other places. It's this sort of back to this word, this liminal space between being about to yeah. cry and actually crying, where where if you kiss and a this, person there, you would you would actually taste their tears. Wow, yeah. And when you put it and when you put it in the context of the next three lines, because I'm faint and fading fast, and I see a darkness, and I shall be released. I think that that there's certainly it, this is a request for comfort, yeah. right? A kind of intimacy that brings comfort. Oh, because <laughs> I mean the 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 song that he's referencing there i see a darkness by bonnie prince billy which by the way if anyone listening has not ever listened to bonnie prince billy before you should start with that record i see a darkness it is beautiful yep. uh, and haunting and there's some there's some connections that i'd like to bring up between will oldham aka bonnie prince billy and me without you in in a when we're done talking about this verse, we'll leave it for that. But sure, sure, sure. Um, but that song is about depression, right? That's the darkness that he's that he mm-hmm. sees, right? It's about trying to communicate to a friend that he's depressed, mm. um, and so I definitely think that that is an intentional reference here. I see a darkness. I think came out in 1998. So yeah, I think so. This this would be. I mean, if that was, I imagine that's something Aaron was listening to, being the hip indie boy that he is. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, I there's no doubt in my mind that this is for sure a reference to that song. And I guess apparently yeah. the uh, I Shall Be Released is a reference to a Bob Dylan song, which I'm not mm-hmm. as familiar with. Oh, I see dark. No, I see a darkness. Oh, no, I see a darkness. Oh, no, I, I see, see my light come shining from the west down to the east. Any day now, any day now, I shall be. As weird as it is to be asked for a kiss there, to ask for a kiss there, um, I think, Stephen, you're totally right, right? That there's an intimacy and and certainly 
the specificity of that location has to refer to tears, kissing someone's tears away. I don't know how much I like my reading, but I'm going to go there. Um, so, but I have another plan. What's that other plan? We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in, in yeah. depth here, but because we went there with the title of the song silencer, we have kind of this gun image yeah. coming along. And so one potential interpretation is one outcome of the illness depression is unfortunately suicide. And so a weird spot to have something like shooting yourself in the head would be this spot oh. right here. Like Ooh, it, wow. I, I see that as like an interesting spot that that could happen in a movie, you know, like uh, it unrealistically happens in movies where someone will get shot in the face yeah. and you see like a spot of blood mm-hmm. happen. Like if you got shot in the face there, your cheekbone would explode. But like in movies, it, it creates this interesting symbolism of like seeing the person's life leave yeah. their body. That often comes to my mind because I'm faint and fading fast and I see a darkness and I shall be released. Like, People who sing about depression, that the release yeah. of death is a thing people have talked about before. It's something I've experienced, and yeah, of course, yeah. And and then I mean, you read the next two lines, right? I'll pass <laughs> like a fever from this body, exactly. Softly slip into his hands. I mean, that's yeah. He's talking about death, but but the other plan, right? I think is in reference to. I mean, he says, "I tried to love you and I failed, but I have another plan." I don't think. I think that there's two ways you could read that. You could say, yep. I tried to love you and I failed, but I have another plan in reference to that failure. Or, and this is, I think, what I'm leaning toward, is that yeah. that I tried to love you and I failed is the kind of concluding thought of everything in this verse. And right, so it's the I have another plan could also be in reference to passing like a fever from this body softly slipping into his hands right because plan does rhyme with hands right in in this context yeah um yeah and so the other plan is not to commit suicide but to to not do that yeah right and i and i think that the fourth exact verse yeah 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 uh really affirms that yep it then goes to a psalm of lament yeah um and I think that he tries to turn to in the last act, the the first you know four tracks of the record. There's a sense in which he's he is trying to like suss out this. How is his faith going to save him? Yeah. Right? How is yeah you know turning to God going to 
rescue him from this pain. Yeah. Right. Well, and if you read it that way, which I I, I think is great. Yeah. Then it that if you put both of those readings that both of you have have put forward, it creates this really frightening cast over this third stanza in which at the beginning of the verse he he might actually just be talking to a gun come kiss my face goodbye oh wow Again, he's almost speaking to himself. Like, mm-hmm. the way you kiss yourself <laughs> in that weird yeah. spot is potentially yeah. with a gun. And then, yeah. Um, but it's like, yeah. it's like you wouldn't think of that in, unless you set the title, Silencer, as possibly being a gun image against the line, but I have another plan. Yeah. Like, that immediately puts you into into this sort of planning. Mm-hmm. But, but then that throws you backwards into it and, and inverts the entire thing. Where... Where what we get exactly. here is an image yeah. of of a kind of like dark fantasy of, of ending one's own life, and then it gets shaken out of yeah. with this line. But I have another plan, and then this like hard hitting music sends us right into the psalm of lament at the end. I just want to. I just want to point out just something aesthetic about just the way that me without you overall was presenting themselves, you know, in how they dress uh, <laughs> during this era. Because if you look at pictures of Will Oldham and you look at pictures of Bob Dylan in 1967 when this song for, that this line is from came out. They both look like they could be in Me Without You in 2002. <laughs> yeah. There's a yeah. really interesting crossover. I mean, I think sometimes, you know, Me Without You strikes some people as being really different and sort of out there fashion-wise, particularly at this time, which I think is true. But they're, you know, they weren't just making it up out of nowhere. No. It came from somewhere and... You know, Will Oldham's aesthetic is, you know, he's sort of a disheveled <laughs> looking dude, you know, um, and and often wearing suits that are kind of ill fitting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I think that when you look at a lot of press photos of me without you, there's there is a kind of 60s Dylan sort of thing mixed mm-hmm. with a little some kind of 19th century like sensibility yeah. in some ways. So yeah, just I just wanted to make that point. My lord, how long to sing this song? And my lord, how much more of this pretending to be strong? When she stands before your throne, dressed in beauty, not her own, all soft and small, you'll hear her call. You brought me here. Now take me home. Uh, oh, man. Um, we. I, I just want to, because I'll forget to bring it up afterwards, there's another 
pretty definitive song reference here, How Long to Sing This Song, uh, which is a U2 song. I believe it's called 40, which is based on Psalm 40. The yeah. Psalm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So that's kind of an incredible callback, both to the U2 song and the Psalm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. In some ways, you get some more, like, as, as a listener, like, thinking about how this ends with everything is beautiful. Yeah. Where we've already established and talked about in our kind of reading that this isn't resolved, right? His choosing the ethical life or trying to, you know, gesture in some way toward a religious life, which, you know, he doesn't come close to doing what Kierkegaard calls the religious life. But, um, you know, yeah. he's he's flailing at something and, and continually missing yeah right um but it's still in some ways frustrating at least for me from where i'm coming from to read the end of this she'll stand before your throne dressed in beauty not her own he's basically saying it doesn't matter if i'm uh you know in her life or not i know that you're going to save her right he's still yeah he's still in this missionary mindset sure of like okay god yeah I won't be the one to do it, and that's fine, but I know that you will, Mm -hmm. right? I think that's the other plan. (laughs) Yeah, yes, yes, that he's going to just let it go and... God's plan. And Yes, the other plan is God's plan. Right, and so you, I like reading that... Thanks, Kanye. (laughs) Wasn't that Drake? No, that's Drake. Oh, (laughs) Drake, sorry. (laughs) But yeah, like, I mean, it's, it's so interesting to be looking at this through like normally when I ever I've heard this song, like I love this last verse, just like it feels so cathartic. Right. It does. The The music of it just has this incredible catharsis to it. Yeah. Right. The music of it and the way that he's like just belting out this, uh, how long my Lord, how long to sing the song mm-hmm. is it's really, really powerful. And then when it, transitions to the she'll stand before your throat like the way that he's hammering on that and then the now take me home it just there's it feels so cathartic but then putting it into the context of our reading right i'm like yeah no no what no this is not supposed (laughs) to be the plan like this is not supposed to be the plan narrator aaron (laughs) what are you doing yep Yep. i i i i think it's I think it's a beautiful inverted image to what we get with the happiness put on like a loose dress. Mm. Again, I'll be the youth group kid here. Yep. And say like, <laughs> yep. If you imagine from from you know whatever you want to say like it like an emic perspective on an evangelical youth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this this is the the most sort of generous, loving gesture that is within his repertoire to offer, which is. Mm. That I'm going to take mm. my hands off of the situation. I'm going to let you go. But but God still loves you and God still wants you to stand before his throne. And so and so it's a it's it's this kind of peace that he that he walks away with. He doesn't need to control the situation anymore, that he just trusts God is going to to take care of her. Like I I don't think that has to be something ugly. 
you can read it however you want from from this is from an edict perspective if if you're if you're looking at this that any kind of desire for somebody to change to be more like your your particular religious viewpoint is automatically unethical or, or dangerous uh then sure this this is like a this is still a problematic ending yeah but just as a poetic image to balance something within the same song she put on happiness like a loose dress over pain i'll never know pair that when she stands before your throne dressed in beauty not her own mm-hmm. yep then now we have the basically the same image except now it is like the righteousness of christ that is now over whatever you know whatever was problematic in her own soul that there's this idea that you know people sing songs about being like washed in the blood of jesus and this sort of thing where mm-hmm. where it's you know this gruesome <laughs> image that but somehow that purifies you by putting something on you that isn't your own it's not your own blood that's doing that work it's, it's the blood of christ any thoughts on any of that yeah i mean to, to affirm the the it is beautiful poetry but there the ugliness comes to me from the line all soft and small again like just one more dig in that infantilizing mm. like another penny in the jar of infantilizing her she's soft and small and timid i know that that image doesn't have to be ugly because the meek shall inherit the earth mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but coming from the more secular perspective She's got to come to that softness and that meekness. That can't just be like, you don't know that narrator. Sure. Like you, you don't know that. Yeah. And, and so you're absolutely right, Stephen. He is absolving himself of the need for control because he still is in the piece of, mm-hmm. well, you control everything. And so sure. the thing you want, God, Christ is going to happen. Yeah. So I don't know. It, that's wow. That's super interesting. Yeah, I, and the soft and small. It, you could you could argue that he's already admitted to being sort of soft and small himself. And my lord, how much more of this pretending to be strong? That like that that even his strength is is a falsehood. To pretending to be strong, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's another callback to kind of that ghost, um, yeah, imagery, yep. of not strong enough to yep. fight. You know, that's. That's it right there. So I, I also want to throw this wow. out here and we can we can talk more about this stanza if we want to. I, I think there's, there's something interesting going on in the music as this builds. I mean, there's this very strong mm-hmm. statement, as you're saying, the way this begins. But in in this whole sort of wrapping up of the song, there's also this kind of weird bottom dropping out moment in the music where like we mm-hmm. lose this constant harmonic progression and it's just sort of like drums with like some kind of jangly guitars, like, like hanging out on a drone yeah. for a while. And I don't have anything profound to say about that. It's just an interesting gesture that mixes it up and never leaves B minor. That's the simple fact of it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But then this last line, it's in quotes, of course, and in the context, it makes perfect sense that it's in quotes. This is like her voice speaking to God at his throne you brought me here, now take me home. And in, in his imagination, now, like, this sounds stupid to say, but she's not saying, my boyfriend brought me here, now take me home. <laughs> like, it's like, she's directing this towards God. Like, this is sort of further confirming that. Right. But this is also a line that seems to be borrowed from Rumi to bring this all the way back around to mm-hmm. let us die, let us mm-hmm. die. And I, I'm i going to say, I, you know, if, if you out there listening, because you obviously love me without you or you have given up like 10 hours ago on us 
have bothered to go, <laughs> you know, read through Coleman Barks' edition of, of The Essential Rumi, you'll see that the first chapter is this collection of poems titled The Tavern, colon, Whoever Brought Me Here Will Have to Take Me Home. And then there's this whole series of mm. poems here. And and I don't I don't know how to square those poems with this, and I'm not going to try to pretend like I understand it. I just think it. Yeah. He probably had a reason to have that line on his mind whenever he got to this point. I I mean, Aaron has talked about being kind of a magpie, like he just likes imagery and sometimes uses it. So, and then we find the connections of deeper meaning often. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah, that's a great call out that I hadn't caught. Kind of back to the music, so that the driving drum and building guitar swells yeah. of verse three, with that dropout that you that you're talking about, the just the conviction of Aaron's delivery of both of those verses is so incredible. Yeah. Like it just it I I might take back by what's my favorite song <laughs> on this. Uh, like, Gentleman is a real yeah. kick in the pants, sure, but Silencer and A Cure for Pain, like, those two songs back-to-back are just mind-blowingly good. And these are, mo- like, the, the moment I'm talking about there has this, yeah, it lives very comfortably in the post-hardcore, whatever that amorphous term <laughs> means, but it also feels like these two songs are the most post-rocky of mm. this album, I-, I feel. Like, specifically, The Cure for Pain... That co- that feels like a mid '90s, like like the Spiderland album that we talked about, mm, yeah, in the first episode. Mm-hmm. Um, it it just has this this feel to it. That both of the production of it and the songwriting mm-hmm. of it is um, sparse and draws you through and takes you through a journey. I guess is it was what I'm saying. Yeah, and because both of those songs are so long compared yeah. to many of the others, the music has the ability to do that yeah. in one track. The yeah. um, the yeah. guitar sounds in, in verse three, the, the verse that begins with Come Kiss My Face mm-hmm. Goodbye, are the only other instance that comes strongly to mind where the band starts to sound like their future selves. Yeah, yeah. There's this one other moment earlier on the record, but now, yeah. now that guitar tone is unique to this track, and it sounds like things sort of slipping in from the future in Catch Rest the Foxes into the background of this as it's starting to build. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and for all of the d- depressive imagery and, and even like suicidal language that shows up in Catch First the Foxes, for that to be introduced here is chilling. Yeah. No. Yeah, that's pretty incredible, actually. I hadn't thought about that, but the maybe that's also part of why these songs stick out to me silencer and cure for pain stick out to me so much is because the complexity of that yeah the utter sadness of you know like i want to end it i don't want to be here mm-hmm. like that continues for the rest of their catalog in a mm-hmm. sense it, it's it addressed a lot in catch for us the foxes but there's there's other moments yeah. too and yeah. Yeah, like they found a groove. Yeah. It's hauntingly sad, but they found a mm-hmm. groove and they they stick with it and they they that's I I will never say that me without you gets into a formula, but that's the closest yeah. thing they get into is that kind <laughs> of addressing these really sad yeah. Yeah. soul-crushing things that many people avoid talking about and then putting music to it in a way. 
So we have that going on in verse three, just in the texture, mm-hmm. and and in this moment of of the darkest, most vulnerable, most profoundly weak state, we have this feeling that the bottom drops out of the music, and as we get to the end, into I have another plan, it gets stronger and stronger and stronger and and it's and and you can feel it when they hit that last stanza how impactful the music is and how impactful his vocal delivery is even meanwhile shouting out a line like how much more of this pretending to be strong like as as the music is supporting this sort of act but also the thing that comes in in the last stanza is a tambourine which it doesn't necessarily have to mean anything (laughs) but to me we're at church. Yeah. Like that's like that's the sound. Like as soon as that tambourine <laughs> comes in, yep. both we have something that sounds like it's lifted straight out of the Psalms, not just implied, but directly, this kind of line. How long, O Lord? Like like that comes in, the tambourine comes in. This is the churchiest moment of the entire record. Yeah. And and he's talking about her standing before the throne of God. Like the language here is is the, the most sort of directly churchy of anything else on here. And the and the music mirrors that. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It really does. The um, the other parallel I wanted to draw is that the pretending to be strong, to me, goes back to, in verse two, the happiness like a loose yeah. dress line. The the pretense, like I am putting on a face yeah. to hide the deeper sadness. Mm-hmm. He is also doing that. Mm-hmm. Yep. It, what a fascinating because we are we're not seeing that realization we do in a couple key moments obviously in the ghost yeah strongly but um but yeah i think to to your point there that if if mm-hmm. this sort of strength and confidence and the, the entire statement of his other plan is a face that he's putting on because he's so yeah overwhelmingly distressed and depressed about this relationship ending yeah this really strong sounding music that comes in at the end and ends with this zinger of exactly what he wanted, right? Ultimately is her saying to God, you brought me here now take me home. He wants this to be the end of the story. Mm -hmm. He desperately wants this to be the last statement. And to me, this song sounds like the end of the album. Mm. They land here, they get here. It's like, okay, well, let's just play this thing out. Yeah. Yeah. We're we're in B minor. We've gone from A to B, whether you think it's from gentleman to this song, or if you listen back further, you know, also going from bullet to binary to this song silencer. You move from yep. A to B. We land in B. It sounds like mm. an ending. He makes this strong statement. And the record isn't over. In fact, <laughs> which is how, which I think is how you know that that your initial theory, Stephen, that the end of the record is not the end of the narrative. It's how you know that that's true, right? Because if yep. this were supposed to be the end, then I feel like it would it, it would have ended, like it would have been that definitive mm-hmm. ending, like you're saying. And it's not, yeah, because it's not over. Yeah, the story isn't doesn't end here. Yeah, so. To find out how the story ends, tune in next time yeah. <laughs> as we discuss the final track on A to B Life, The Cure for Pain. <laughs>